Welcome to Ice Cream Sunday. My name is Austin Buckner. Trevor Holder. Heather Holder. Gabriel. Awesome. So Gabriel is on to talk a little bit about uh, Ren Fair, to talk a little bit about how he knows both Trevor and his wife, Heather, who is filling in for David on this episode, um, and also to talk uh, a little bit about blacksmithing and how you got into all of that. Um, was there anything that we, we didn't talk about? Anything that you would want uh, our listeners to know specifically about you that maybe we didn't touch on during your episode? Um, not really. I think the only thing that we really didn't touch on is just you know, things not to do to a blacksmith. What are things not to do to a blacksmith? Don't walk in between them and their forge or them and their anvil. Don't touch anything that's glowing. And uh, don't ask if the fire's real. <laughs> oh, no, it happens. Does it really? Every time. From adults. <laughs> Why? That doesn't, can you not see the, that the fire is real? I've asked... I've, I've been asked if uh, it was one of those holographic projections. Ah, I've I gotcha. asked if it was a propane canister hidden under the ground. <laughs> um, I've been asked uh, how I get the LEDs in the metal. And isn't it expensive <laughs> when I hit it with a hammer? <laughs> and these are all college age and above people who have asked me these things. Well, we talk a little bit about the do's and don'ts of Ren Faire in general as well. So we'll get into all of that. Sit back, relax, and enjoy episode number six of the ice cream sunday podcast featuring gabriel So I know that Heather and Gabe had met each other before, yes. but I want to know how you guys met and then how you learned that she knew him. How me and Gabe met? Yes. Okay, so uh, I had met Gabe through uh, a job offer on Facebook, which I went into interview and he was actually the one who interviewed me. And it was funny because after after the interview, after we went through the whole thing i came home and i told heather i was like i think i got the job and the best part about it was like the whole time i'm just thinking you know maybe you know i seem okay and i figured it was just part of the deal just to get fingerprinted and, and picture taken and everything i didn't think he's like when can you start whenever he's like okay well we have a project going on downtown and uh, after I had signed papers and uh, did fingerprint, took my picture and everything, like, I literally started the next week. But like, I got hired pretty much on the spot. I'm like, huh. So we talked about this briefly on like a, a bonus audio clip, not a full episode, yes. but like one of before we even uploaded Morgan's. What made you? Because you had no experience in security or anything like that. What made you? What was attractive about that ad that you were like, this seems like something that I, A, could do, and B, would want to do? Um, I gotta be honest, at first it was just kind of the money aspect. Like, I needed a job that was way more sustainable. And it was a very, uh, comparatively to what I was making, it was a good paying job. So, me working security at... Uh, friend's bar 
kind of was like, yeah, I'll I'll give it a shot and see if it's because I like to think I did fairly good at my job at the bar. So yeah, I, I mean, I kind of started the job thinking, you know, it's just it's just gonna be pay, and then I thought, you know, like morally and just kind of uh, mentally speaking, I'm like. I feel like this is something that I could do because I believe in, uh, I believe in like, I don't know, protecting people, making sure things stay safe. And I I liked how very, um, orderly it was Mm -hmm. like it was, it was rigid. It was, it it had structure. Yes. Thank you. You know, there are a lot of ways that I've heard downtown described. Structured is not one of them. <laughs> I completely understand. So you said that Gabe's your boss. So yes. then, Gabe, did you start this security company? No. no. Okay. So the owner of the company uh, currently that I work for, we used to work together on actually the contract that Trevor and I are working on right now. We met... Oh, I want to say five, six, seven years ago, somewhere in there. And uh, he and I had started working together. And the company that we were working for ended up selling out to another company, which just kind of ran it into the ground. And the management, I should say the ownership, didn't exactly do a great job of managing the company. So we all kind of went our separate ways. I got moved to another account, which ended up getting taken over by another company. Uh Howard, who's the owner of the company, um, he says, you know, screw this. I'm just going to open up my own company. So he starts up a company while working at a company called SIGWORK. So he's working almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to get this up and off the road. And in 2019, they really hit their break. And uh, they had his partner at the time actually reached out to me when they were still looking to start it up. And wanted to know if I wanted to be a part of it and, you know, dump in X amount of money in order to have a stake in the ownership. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I just, I honestly don't have the money. I kind of live paycheck to paycheck right now. So, you know, it's really not an option for me right now. But, you know, if you ever get to the point where you need another worker, you know, let me know and I'll gladly come give you a hand. Sure. So a few years pass and I'm working at... Casey's as a mechanic for their semis and trailers and stuff. Okay. So I'm doing that. I'm working for another security company, just doing errands, odd jobs, stuff like that. And I'm working for Phoenix. So I'm working seven days a week, almost 16 to 18 hours a day. Oh, wow. So, and that's just my life (laughs) for over a year. Yeah. So let talk to me about the the contracts for security. Um uh, and you you would call them projects. So is it and you work mostly down downtown, is that right? Or well, to start with, the reason what we called the downtown project the downtown project is because it was very experimental. You know, Iowa had never done anything like this before. They set up gates blocking off an entire section of the bar district. They had security at every gates, kind of screening people who were coming in, making sure there's no weapons, underage people, things of that nature. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, that's kind of why we called it the project is just because it had never been done. And actually 
since we had started doing that, several states around us actually started doing that as well. So is it where the city of Des Moines is hiring the security company or how does that, how does that work? No. So the city of Des Moines was not actually fun. Well, the city of Des Moines did not have a, their name on it. Okay. They put forth part of the funding in order to have us there. So did the state of Iowa. And so did the, um, court Avenue bar district association. So they all kind of came together. And when it came to policies or, people getting upset and saying, you know, well, I need to know who runs this. All of them were kind of hands off, like, no, no, it's not me. It's them over there. <laughs> so. So then is there, is there private businesses that are hiring Phoenix? And is it more than just the downtown? Kind of talk to me about where you guys are at across the city or the state or, or what your, your territory is, so to speak. So we actually run contracts, um, all over Des Moines, West Des Moines, we have several bar contracts. We have uh, wedding venues. We have um, a contract that's technically governed by Homeland Security. We have uh, different, uh, how do I put it, uh, specialized event venues. Uh, places like, uh, I, mean, I don't know venues, if we can... Like I don't know if we can actually give names out. Yeah, right? no specifics, but, but just just wanted to kind of know how that that works, and and so they just get a get a hold of you or in contact with the company, and then just say, you know, this is kind of what we're thinking. This is yeah. how many people we we want, or how many like if it's a special event, how many people we expect to be there, and this is the yeah, kind and of then what, and then in turn, like uh, Gabe or Howard or you know whoever's in charge of whatever account would uh, be like, all right, this is what we're charging for it this is this is our rate this is kind of what we're thinking so in my understanding being that i'm not as high up it's kind of bouncing it back and forth before an agreement can be made yeah so basically the the company will reach out to us the company of the business will reach out to us and be like hey we need security so we'll go in we'll actually do a risk assessment and be like okay this is where your vulnerabilities are. This is what we're going to suggest. And this is our hourly rate per guard. They're going to come back with a counteroffer of, okay, well, we need this many guards minimum. And this is what we can offer you. And if it fits in, then we start putting people there whenever they start with their project. Gotcha. So then the businesses or the organizations that are reaching out to you for security, is it do you see it's it's most often businesses that have had some sort of issues uh, previously or is it companies that are trying to it's more of a preventative thing or um what kind of clientele and you don't have to go into details of course but what kind of clientele are you seeing most often sadly when companies start thinking about security it typically is a reactive measure rather than a proactive measure. Sure. You know, obviously I've been in situations where it's a proactive measure, you know, Hey, we're a new business, you know, we could foresee these things happening and we don't want them to, but most of the time it's because an incident has happened or they are contractually required to have uh, security for one reason or another. Sure. So wanted to skip ahead. You start working for this same company mm -hmm. that Gabe works for, Yep. Your wife actually knows Gabe and has known Gabe long before you started working there. Yeah. You didn't know that. She didn't know that. He didn't know that. Can you tell a little bit about the story and how you, the night that you, you figured that out? 
Yeah, so I had been working downtown for months, uh, you know, doing what I can, uh, pretty much whatever I'm told, because that's how it works. And, uh, you know, every every weekend, I'd bounce, chit-chat back and forth. So I'd, I'd like, I'd talk to Gabe about personal, you know, just at-home regular shit, you know, like coworkers do. Or like... I'd get off of work and I'd tell Heather about stuff that happened at work. And like at no point did it ever connect with anybody that anybody knew each other other than just stories that I've told. So once we fast forward to like months later to Oktoberfest and to around the time that that you had got engaged and our mutual friend Daniel his wedding is when uh, Heather and Gabe finally came into contact with each other yeah because you needed me to bring you food while we're Oktoberfest you're like I'm starving I can't wait any longer it's like all right yeah so I went down there with a friend of mine and got up there went to hand on went to figure out what you wanted for sure because I don't know if like my phone died or no, it was the signal was having issue because there's just so many fucking people down there. And I walk up to you guys and I'm like, Oh, this guy, I I know this guy. And we realize that, yeah, we've known each other for probably the 10 or 12 years that at least I've been in fair. And I'm, yeah. And I'm standing right next to Gabe and I'm sitting here like, what the fuck? Yeah. Cause we're just catching up like, yeah, Hey, what's going on? And that's going to be a common theme, I think, in the podcast, whenever you're on or when we talk about you is that you and we've already talked about this yep. on a bonus audio. Yep. You fucking know <laughs> everybody. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's a Ren thing. It's uh, as they've talked about in the chair on top one. It was like, it's a wrestling thing. It's a I, I just know. And I just saw a bunch of your wrestling friends last night. And so. we can we can go more into it uh, into the next episode. But coincidentally enough, going further into how she knows people, she knows the judge oh, in, in Dallas your... County. Oh, why do you know the judge in Dallas County? Um, I work with their child. Oh, I thought you had gotten in some trouble. Oh, no. No, but... <laughs> seems like a very... Heather Holder thing to of do. Of course. I'm always the one to get in trouble. I love that your name is now Heather Holder because you have the same initials yep. as Hulk Hogan. And it makes me so happy. Yep. Why not? <laughs> so, Do you, you ever see that video of um, that dude proposing to his wife and she's dressed as Hulk Hogan? She's got like the handlebar mustache, <laughs> yes. the do-rag, the, <laughs> yes. the wig. I saw it like in August because we talked about that. You're like, yeah, you got to make uh, Amy... I almost called her Heather. I, we just, we, we're both marrying Heather at this point. Yeah. Um, which I feel like when you get married to Trevor, you get married. It's to a package like, deal. It's a yeah, package deal. You get, you get married to the boyfriend as well. Uh, you get married to the podcast. You get married to uh, to, to gaming. You get married yeah. to everything one, that we're into. One big happy family. And then at the same time, Trevor gets married to Ren Fair. He gets married to uh, all of the music that you do. The we'll cats. Talk, the cats. We'll talk more about all of this. But <laughs> So talk to me about Ren Fair, how and when you guys met. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't point out a specific date, but I definitely know. Um, gosh, it was... Pro- I think we... Did we do Midwest Runfest together out at Scary Acres? Or 
Would it have been Des Moines or I, I Amana? I think it was probably either Des Moines or Amana. Yeah. How long have you been involved in Renfair? Since 2008. So like literally like the year after summer after you graduated high school? Yeah. Then? I okay. started um, with, um, at the time, my boyfriend um, met the people like uh, I was in a... Um, if we want to get into the story of how I got into Renfair. Yeah, absolutely I do. Um, to connect how I'm a part of all of this craziness. Um, so back when I was at Indian Hills um, in 2008, I was in Hamlet. Um, I was not a female. Um, I was Osric, Keeper of the Blades, coincidentally. Um, and one of my friends did Renfair. And so their group leader, um, Mike Comstock, was in the audience and apparently got in touch with me and was like, Hey, I really think you could do this. If you want to like join up with our group, see what you think. And I was like, my first thought was, this is really nerdy and I don't know if I'm into it. Um, <laughs> I know, I know you're all I mean, knowing what right, I, right? Yeah, knowing <laughs> what I know about you now, that's the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. But also like, I was not into like D and D back then. Like I was still pretty like, again, knowing what I know now, that's hilarious. <laughs> considering very... you have a fucking D and D tattoo now. Oh yeah. It's absolutely hilarious at this point of my life. In a cookbook. And a D&D cookbook. We're, we're literally making a Fucking ham. Fucking D&D ham for Easter. Yeah. Why it. not? I love it. That's what we get. Um, so, uh, yeah, I went to Amana for my first fair just to try on a dress and show up. And then I had to leave about an hour later to go do a Broadway-themed concert uh, back in my college. But then I was like, yeah, sure, I'll try it out a little more in depth. Went to a rehearsal. I was just planning to be a lady in waiting and just look pretty and hang out. Saw I the wanted guy. to do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, saw the guys fighting with um, Kendo or Shanae. Um, we they use those to, and wrap it in hockey tape to try to help help make them more durable when using those to fight. And I was like, that actually looks super cool. I was like, let me try. This is a really dumb pro wrestling related question. When you say kendo, is it like the bamboo yep. sticks? Like, yep. like a kendo stick that you see in pro wrestling? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck yes. Okay. All right, so that's, cool. what, that's what we used um, instead of actual swords because, again, we didn't have armor. Um, so I tried it out. I ended up beating up a few of the guys and they're like, we think you have some raw talent. Like, That's let's awesome. see this. Which I feel like I need to cut in and say, uh, like, one of the first pictures that you saw of Heather was her dropping an elbow. Oh, yeah. Uh, on stage. I completely forgot about that. And you were like, this is the most perfect elbow. It ever. is the most perfect elbow. <laughs> that was years later there when is, I was doing choreographed steel fighting. There's just from the pro wrestling world, everyone throws elbows. Very few people do it like chef's, chef's kiss. kiss. <laughs> Your wife is 100% one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> so how did you get into Renfair? And when did you get into Renfair? I have been doing Renfairs ever since I can remember. Um, back when I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper, um, my parents would take me to the Renfairs and we used to... so. With the Sleepy Hollow Fair, uh, back in the beginning, back when it was still owned by the Salisbury House, you could volunteer 
and you would get like half off of your tickets. So I remember being the little kid who would, you know, go and then they'd put this little like burlap tunic over me and a belt that would wrap around and I'd just be walking around. It, it helped create a better, you know, environment for everything. So, and that's honestly one of my earliest memories at fair. Um, I feel really bad that David's not here because David has done a lot of Ren Fair stuff too. Has he? And I just feel like it's the three of you that really know a lot about it. And then there's my dumbass who's never been. So, oh, we got to take. Oh, yes, a, absolutely. A, and I, I, a turkey I, leg. Of course. The, oh, that sounds amazing. So I'm. Of course, I'm. I'm. I'm one of those that has never been, but is would be really excited to go for someone that it might not be their cup of tea. What are the things that you would tell them? to to get them to go what are what are some things that an outsider's perspective looking in might not understand about that world or is there what makes it exciting for you to be to be part of that world and that question goes to either one of you being that i'm more fairly (laughs) new into it i feel like you'll be easier to answer this yeah yeah it's a lot of it just have fun with it just like you don't need to be sticking to any like type of like societal norm because it's just like the wild west out there like it's a lot of fun just to kind of let go and be someone that you're either not or you're just not typically showing yeah it's it i mean find a niche out there like there's between the music shows the fighting shows the comedy the magic the fire it could literally be anything. Just find something and try it out and go from there. We'll talk about this a lot more with Paige when she comes and yes. she does her interview. What it sounds like to me, like again, as an outsider perspective looking in, because I've never done any of the cosplay or gone to cons or anything like that. It seems like an opportunity, much like pro wrestling, I guess, if I want to compare it to that, yep. where I can just... My own actual personality can fuck off for a little bit and then I just get to be whoever I want to be. Yeah. Yes. So that's exactly what I tell people who have never gone to a fair and are cautious about going to a fair. One, you can be anyone you want to be and no one's ever going to hold it against you. And number two is you can't have a once in a lifetime experience sitting on your couch. Right. Some of the best stories and the best experiences of my life have either happened on the way to fair, from fair, or at a fair. Or with fair friends and family. Like, it's it's so crazy how like the different people I've performed with or even like fans that have I've grown so close with um and I'm sure like you can understand that too with being in wrestling shows like you're with them like mm-hmm. that whole, but it's not just for one day or one evening it's a whole weekend that you're there oh yeah and see that that's what you really, really get to know somebody yes <laughs> and that's what really excites me about like trying to get you in a in a rent fair or anything because being that you have a wrestling background and you have this character and persona, you could absolutely go have garb, be dressed up, and just be this over-the-top character. And I think being a part of wrestling or knowing the ins and outs of wrestling would really help you just find a certain place at a Ren Fair. Like, you could walk around and be uh, just loud hype man like... Uh, you know, one of our favorite wrestlers or yeah. anything like that and just be all in and people would love that. Yeah, I would say like, um, so over the years now, I guess it's crazy to think it's been 14 years. Um, I have done at least 
like three or four different characters. Your Ren Fair career could have a learner's permit. That's it, how long no, you've been doing it. Insane. Fair. Um, but God, what does that say about me? <laughs> <laughs> My Ren Fair can, can, can drink. Can drink now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's it's interesting because I have what I've done is I've looked at you know who I who I am or who I've been, and then I like pull out one section of that personality um, to develop a character around. Like my original character, character Isabella Evanwood was very like conservative, very like, but I'm going to stand my ground and be independent. Whereas like mischief, hundred percent, her name, like would do anything her own way, but be over the top about it or be extra flirty and that, that sort of thing. I mean, it was like literally like choosing, Hmm, I'm going to do this right here. Um, and, and just growing with it and, Okay, so talk to me about this because now it does sound like pro wrestling. So talk a little bit about developing a character and then determining whether you continue with that character or you can you create a completely different character. Because it, it, when I started pro wrestling in 2015, my idea was like I'm small, but like I'm going to be so cocky and confident in myself and I'm going to be like this really hard hitter, right? And then I get in front of a crowd and I realize that People don't give a shit about any of that. They want to see another man play with my nipples. And so I became <laughs> comedy fodder for the next four years of my career. Okay, and so it's a lot like Ren Faire. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. But I mean, yeah, because it always depended on like where, where I was. Um, like I said, with, with the Royal Army of Comstock, that was a totally different thing because I was being very... Um, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. Um. Like, I was meant for specific purposes, whereas, like, um, on a stage, you know, having more with with a character like Isabella Evanwood, it was more free flow. Definitely more, like, go with the flow. Whereas um, Summers, who was a first mate um, with the Body Buccaneers, that was definitely more ditzy, blonde. You have a script. Try to follow it as best as possible, as long as you remember it. Um, but also... Yeah, there's a little bit of space to be like, hey, poke fun at the other people, twist some nipples, uh, <laughs> drop an elbow. Um, so it's it, it all depends on like um, the difference between stage performances, too, and like being in the lanes and really creating that sense of community and atmosphere while people are walking through. It's it's each its own. Talk to me about that. What, what What's the difference between on stage or in the lane. What does that mean? So um, I would say lane characters are, like I said, like creating that atmosphere, like bringing them into that um, reality world. of their, yeah, their world of being at a run fair, being in, in that time um, and enjoying in the moment. Whereas like a stage performance that's scheduled, like there's shows at this, this and this times and they have their own plan of what's going to happen during that show. Um, lane performances, hundred percent improv. Mm -hmm. all in the moment like you might have a, a shtick to go with but it's you know ever evolving and if you want a good community like ren fair has been amazing like oh yeah uh, uh like the amano one we went to or uh central missouri is another yeah central missouri i've never seen like i've gone in not really knowing about finally actually getting into a, a type of character 
And so when a Ren Fair opens up, there's like that kind of meeting where like literally everyone congregates to be like, all right, gates are opening in like five minutes. Here's a speech. Everyone gets into it. Everyone's super supportive and everyone goes out of their way to help each other. And it's honestly pretty incredible to see how tight knit that community is and how so many people keep in contact with each other just to make sure it runs smoothly. So let me ask you this. So your boss, mm-hmm. Renfair veteran, your wife, Renfair veteran, mm-hmm. you fairly new to the world. How do you create your character? What, what goes into creating your, uh, your identity when you start attending your, your Renfairs? It's hard because I'm still, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to find my place. Uh, I, I'm very like personally outside of Renfair, I'm very much uh, not as outspoken and boisterous. Whereas in Renfair, I kind of want to be that opposite. So I want to be walking around. I want to be yelling at people and just like. We need to get him a cowbell. Kind of immersing. <laughs> and so I, I honestly, it's been so long. I can't remember the character name I came up with. The Silent Knight or another? So, yeah. So, I have two characters. I I have the kind of rogue bard type. Like, I don't have any instruments or anything like that. But I go out and I I yell at people and try to just just hype people up. Get people going and, and just have fun with it and joke around. But I came up with another character. And I have yet to do it. But I'm really excited about it. Do you, want to, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, okay. absolutely. <laughs> so his, it, he's the silent knight. So I plan on getting actual armor. And it, it's going to be loud. It's going to be clanky. But the knight never speaks. <laughs> okay. And so the knight... I really thought you were going to go a different way with this. And I'll explain that when you're done talking. Yeah, and <laughs> but on top of that, he thinks he's really good at being silent. And he's not. So, like, he's, he's clanking around. Uh, he's got, like, pots and pans and, like, a cowbell and, and shit like that. Literally, like, Link carrying all of his equipment, but not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the one idea we had? Like, I, just want, I wanted... I just like, wanted, like, a colander for a helmet. That's all I want to see. Like, the idea... I had, I had an idea of, uh, like, handing out little things to kids is like like little pots or pans or something that yeah basically having little like instruments and yeah maybe cowbells or whatnot basically having yeah (laughs) yeah uh yeah no there's there's so many ways to and that's where like i said you find like what one thing like what do you want to stand out about the character but yet have so many ways directions you can go with it oh i i almost forgot uh Another thing that the Silent Knight would do, he'd, he'd walk up to people, try to be like real quiet, hold his finger up to his helmet or whatever. Like tell him to be quiet. But he has a, a wooden sign around his neck that says, shh. <laughs> so he's like the librarian yeah. in, a, in a fair. Yeah. So it's... I just, I, ideas like that are just super funny to me. And I think humor more than anything is probably the best part about it. So well, I could really see you pulling off a character called the silent knight who's taken a vow of silence 
but is constantly procrastinating on starting that vow of silence. Oh, I'm going to start it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just yep. won't shut up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could really go either way with that. I think that'd be hilarious. Um, and I, I have a stage idea. I won't necessarily go into details of it because I'm still... In the She's planning. in the works, but she needs to actually follow through with some of it because the uh, leader of the Renfair group is constantly on her about actually getting it done. Yeah, apparently I supposedly have a really good idea that's pretty unique, um, and so I need to get my butt moving on it. I think for what for me, um, for Renfair, and then even when I've played like D&D, for example, um, I'm always told like you get to create whatever you want to be, you can pretty much do whatever you want to do. But then since I'm, I'm so new and I don't know how like that particular tabletop game works and I don't know how Renfair works. The decisions works. seem overwhelming. Yes. It, yes. It's like, what am I, what's the limitations? What can I actually do? What can I not do? And then so someone I, tells you no, like yeah, you don't have any limitations. You're yeah. like, wait, what? So I think that's probably the best question for you is like, Someone new to Renfair, what are like the, what are the best do's and don'ts that you can, you can give to someone who's brand new to Renfairs? Okay. So the best do's and don'ts, um, we'll start with the don'ts. That's probably smart. Yeah. Um, don't get overly handsy with people. Okay. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big one. It's a mistake I see a lot of people make. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable, especially like the people who, are wearing a little bit less, especially on like pirate weekends, the fairies, stuff like that. If people it, get handsy. I, I feel like if it's other performers, if you if, if you have a like a pre agreement, mm-hmm. that's different. But and well, I, again, sorry. this is you know someone who's just going to rent fairs, yes. you know, yeah. for the first time. Yep. You and know, I, don't get overly handsy, but you know, most of the time, you don't have to worry about their personal bubble. You know. Yeah, I would agree. Um. And, and I will say to you with that, like, especially don't be touchy with, with especially like other with performers, um, because um, performers and those that work on a fair have code words for when they're not safe yes. or when security needs to be called. So really don't do that unless you're wanting someone. And if for some reason you get security called on you, um, security will be the last people to arrive because the rest of the performers, vendors, and everybody else will get your ass oh, first. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, um, it's a protective community. Stay off the stage, you mm. know, unless you get pulled up on stage, stay off of it. Most of the time, heckling is kind of a 50 50 thing as long as it's, you know, family appropriate. And just don't interrupt the flow of the show. Like- yeah. There's there's a matter of humor, but then there's also you're just getting in the way at mm-hmm. that point. Sure. For the dues, I mean, pretty much sky's the limit. If you're looking on or looking at uh, you know creating a persona for your first time, take who you are and be the exact opposite. So if you're like really quiet and mild mannered and you know keep to yourself, be that loud, boisterous, you know in your face kind of person because if you decide you don't like it most likely you won't see the 90% of those people ever again sure um otherwise you know just go and have fun you know for your very first fair be a wallflower don't let someone know that it is your very first fair <laughs> that's because kind of like going to a strip club and telling them it's your birthday or you're getting married yes. don't do that <laughs> someone will 
hold you by the arm and walk you around and scream that you are a fair virgin and that everyone needs to, you know, welcome you to the fair and everything else and everyone will cheer. So this is how I felt about, we went to the Wrestling Revolver last night. Amy had been to a couple of those shows before, but it never sat in the front row. And so Zach and I positioned her directly in the middle of the front row, directly across from the entrance on the what they call the dive side. So on that side, the barricade is a little further back and there's more padding. And so it's every high spot, every dive, that's, that's where they happen. And so we decided to put her right there. So she is literally six inches away from grown men flying through the air. Um, she did not get blood on her. Zach did get blood on him. Um, I bet he so, loved so it. She was so close to the action, and she's like, "Admittedly, it is more fun in the front row. Let's never do that again." <laughs> so yeah, so like, it's, yeah, and there's a similar type of thing in fair. Like, if you get like offered to go up on stage, or like you get a little bit picked on, go with it. It's yeah. okay. Like. They're just making you um, a part of their own world. Yeah, mm-hmm. never try try to not take offense to anything said or done, just because it's all in good fun. It's all just jesting and yeah. and and if for some reason you get made to feel uncomfortable, just tell them. Sure. Yeah, take, you know. take pull them aside afterwards. Tell them, hey, in the future, like, can can this not happen? Or most most of the entertainers, if you just give them a stern look and then give them a you know a subtle shake of the head. They'll pick it up, mm-hmm. you know. Surprisingly enough, most Rennies that I know are naturally introverted. So, like, <laughs> they keep to themselves. They want their private space, you know. So, originally, the entire <laughs> reason that we wanted to have you on was to talk about your your blacksmithing. So, is that something that you started doing specifically to make weaponry for Renfair or was that something that you got in for another reason and and then use those skills for Renfair? Uh, I actually, um, so I got into blacksmithing through martial arts. Okay. Um, when I was very young, I started taking martial arts. I progressed into edge weapon combat. Um, from edge weapon combat, I realized exactly how expensive a good quality fighting sword is. And I'm like, well, might as well try to make it myself because my ass is broke. (laughs) Um, so I, searched around and searched around and I finally found someone who was willing to teach me and he wouldn't teach me until I was 16. I was 14 at the time. So I spent from 14 to 16, um, saving every dollar I could, you know, I went out, I got a job at fairway and I saved every dollar I could. I, I can't imagine you at fairway with as much like long hair and this beard. is before I had long hair. I wondered, <laughs> you know, this is well, for the most part, my hair was like shoulder length. Fairway has really relaxed because it used to be like short hair, no, no. facial hair. Yeah. Like, they've relaxed their rules a little bit, oh, but it used they? to be like piercings, um, tattoos. Yeah, it used to be like I didn't have any button up. Fourteen. The, yeah. Everyone <laughs> had the the bow tie. Like it, it used to be very very oh, yeah. conservative. Well, I don't know if conservative is the right way, but very conservative. Yeah, I guess yeah. conservative. Structured. Yeah. yeah. But so on my 16th birthday, I walked in and I laid down because it was a thousand dollars a year for my apprenticeship. And I laid down five years worth of money. Oh, wow. Right then and there. I'm like, I'm serious about this. Teach me. And uh, he's like, okay. And so I started working with him. Uh, It was supposed to be every weekend. And I was over there probably four days a week. Wow. Um, Because he was just 
about a mile and a half from where I was living. So I'd walk over there every mm -hmm. couple of days. And eventually he passed away uh, three years into my apprenticeship. And like, I took that really, really hard. And I started learning from anyone and everyone who would be willing to teach me anything, you know, traveling to Ren fairs, hanging out at the blacksmith shop, you know, uh, YouTube, when I finally discovered that, um, you know, watching videos, just whatever I could to learn. And because at by this time, it had become such a passion. And I remember going to Ren Faire when I was a kid. And, you know, being a poor kid, you know, you don't really get to leave with a lot of souvenirs. Mm -hmm. And I always remember hanging out with the blacksmiths because I've always had a sick and sadistic fascination with knives and swords and things of that nature. But uh, I always used to hang out by the blacksmiths. And one blacksmith, I can't for the life of me remember his name, but he actually let me come back behind and feel some of his hammers. And he pulled out a red hot piece of steel and he set it on the anvil and he said, hit it. So I did. A lot. And it was just, it was love at first strike, you know? So you had briefly mentioned uh, un, uh, unchoreographed and choreographed combat. Yeah. Um, this would be a question for either one of you, whoever wants to answer it. Can you kind of talk a little bit about the differences between that? Well, unchoreographed combat is, like I said, you don't know what the other person is going to do. You're going to walk into that arena, that ring, that stage, whatever. You have no idea what your opponent is going to do. You have no idea where they're going to come from or what kind of fighting style they're going to use. Um, a choreographed combat is you are spending days, weeks, months, years learning every nuance of where their weapon is going to be. That way you can position yourself to put on a better show. Um, unchoreographed combat is drastically more dangerous. I have been stabbed in my stomach i've had i've been stabbed in both of my knees my back my calf i've been i've had both my legs knocked out from underneath me with a war hammer i've been knocked clean unconscious with a mace i've been stabbed in the face i've almost lost three fingers these are all from blunted weapons <laughs> yeah and i would say like with choreographed i haven't had terribly many injuries i think one time i actually accidentally injured myself which for you guys probably isn't much of a surprise <laughs> um uh like probably like two weeks before my first marriage um i ended up getting taking a sword to the face um luckily i was fine it was just a little bit of a cut but um and then i think i have like a scar on my wrist from my very first choreographed fight but <laughs> I think everyone who does any kind of unchoreographed combat gets that one shot to the face. Oh, oh, for sure. Oh, and unchoreographed stuff. I got hit so many times. I mean, um, as uh, you know, my husband knows from paintball, um, I bruise m like even more than a peach. Um, she could have Kevlar on, get hit with a paintball, and she has a welt the size of a softball. The, I've seen them the, all over her legs. Yeah, the pictures of when I went first went paintballing looked atrocious. And I remember in college, um, I would wear you know a cut off t shirt and shorts to class, 
And I definitely had some professors that pulled me aside and asked if they needed to be concerned about my well-being because um, they definitely thought I was getting abused. And I was like, no, 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 I'm just a super weirdo and I do sword fighting. <laughs> and from, I- from the third person's point of view, I just like the violence. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's so a big attraction. You talked a little bit about your your history, your background in martial arts. Mm-hmm. And so you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it, it looks like from an outsider's perspective looking in that the unchoreographed, is it like a, a point based system kind of like point karate would be? Where like if you land a strike, like you get a point? It depends it like on that? the group. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so for choreographed, it's very much about the show. For unchoreographed, the groups that I've been in, it's kind of been point based. Okay. Um, the most recent couple of groups that I've been with, it's you're fighting until someone lands a kill shot. Or if you follow through with that shot with a live sword, it would kill them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there was, I mean, with um, the unchoreographed I did, um, that we had certain spots that we considered like not legal shots um, or weren't viable just because especially like hands, like getting a hand shot with a kendo stick hurts like a son of a bitch mm-hmm. um and that can very easily damage any of those bones in the hand so like that face was off you know off um can anything shamrock below knows that anything what'd be- you say can shamrock knows that <laughs> anything below the elbow um f- feet the only reason that like a foot or a hand or something would be a go is if that suddenly came like a foot came off the ground and tried to do some like fun kick um, no, you can totally hit that foot because that's fair game now. Sure. Or like the hands off the weapon and someone's trying to be very distracting. Um, we ha- I had one friend that used to um, fight with two kendo sticks and he would throw one up in the air and say, oh, look, a bird. Um, nope. That arm is suddenly available. Like, don't get distracted by mm-hmm. that. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to your your weapon making, um, can you talk a little bit about how that's evolved over the years? Uh, not actually all that much. I've just gotten better grinders. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I really wish that was a joke, but it's really not. Um, when I started out, um, actually on my own, I started with a handful of files, a chunk of railroad track, and a couple of Harbor Freight hammers. And that's what I started with. And uh, I don't even remember what I was using for a forge at that time. I want to say it was like a grill. Because I was using uh, charcoal in the very, very beginning. Um, Eventually, I, you know, grew and I progressed and I found a few really good deals and I got really lucky on a few things. And now I have an entire shop. Um, So, yeah, pretty much the the grinders have just gotten better. I went from, you know, hand files to a small belt grinder that I got from Harbor Freight, a little 1x30. And I got a bench grinder, which evolved into a 2x36, which evolved into a 2x72. <laughs> um, I still have one of your self-defense keychains you made. Yep. I don't even know how long which, ago. <laughs> which I also want to point out, uh, something that we've been adamant about on the podcast is uh, promoting local businesses and stuff about of that nature. Um, so we, we will want to uh, get your info for your blacksmith thing so if anyone is interested in like self-defense spikes or knives or swords or on anything that you can make we'll get that info out there as well that way that okay. it can be spread as well yeah, or it could absolutely. be advice about a bug out kit. yeah i mean it's all away yeah exactly <laughs> is there a particular weapon that you're 
you're best at, you think, or is there a, a, something that you you've made in the past that you're particularly proud of, or like this is your this is your yeah exactly that's what I was trying to say, but I couldn't <laughs> think of it. Um, there there is one sword that I was very very fond of. I I wanted it to be my absolute masterpiece. I wanted it to be you know perfection because this was going to be my sword. This is the one I spent a few years fighting with in Live Steel. And it was massive. <laughs> um, it had almost a three-inch wide blade. Oh, wow. It was five and a half feet tall. And at its widest point, it was 16 inches wide at the hilt. Uh, never made a sheath for it because it was literally designed to hook over my shoulder mm -hmm. to be carried around. So it would yeah. actually, like hook on my collarbone and that's how I would walk around with it with the just giant fuck off sword and uh, I ended up getting hurt real bad um, and I was looking at the prospect of having to completely end my blacksmithing career completely end my fighting career um, they were talking about fusing the lower 13 inches of my spine wow um, I ruptured three discs and herniated two more in my lower back and uh, I went into a really bad depression, and I sold it. I sold almost all of my weapons. This injury was from? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, okay. kind of. Um, once again, we get back to that, you know, interesting stories that happen on your way to or on your way home from fair. Um, I was unloading uh, after a Ren fair, and I, go, I travel to fair with a full blacksmith encampment. Multiple anvils, multiple forges, you know, a couple hundred pounds of coal, three to four hundred pounds of steel, um, because I do interactive demonstrations, but we can get into that in a little bit. So I'm unloading, and, you know, like, every girlfriend I've had, I've let them know that, you know, I love my anvil more than you, and I always will. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, my anvil may not be able to keep me warm at night, but my forge will. <laughs> so... I'm unloading, I've got someone helping me, and they bump my anvil, and I can see that it's about to fall. And me loving my anvil more than I love myself, I caught it, and as I caught it, I swung with it, and I just heard them pop straight up my spine, because um, I'm catching a hundred- We're recording a fucking podcast! I wanted to see if that would work. That's what some he lovely said. vacuuming. Um, oh, but yeah, I, I caught a 200 pound falling anvil in a swinging, twisting motion, just like Peter Griffin says you're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it laid me out for over six months. Um, I was dependent on, uh, a cane for another three months. I was dependent on a walker in order to get around. Um, I ended up having a triple micro disectomy in my lower back to, fix the ruptured discs and a month after the surgery i was back at fair holy shit yeah if someone wanted to get a hold of you your shop um learn a little bit more about ren fair from you what's the best way to get in touch with you um probably either my facebook page which is razor's edge knife works at facebook.com um or you know if you know or, you know, just best thing to do is come out and see us. You know, I'll be at the uh, Renaissance Fair at Sleepy Hollows, Spring Fling, 
the first two weekends of May. And I'm also guaranteed going to be there for the first three weekends of September uh, during the Renaissance Fair at Sleepy Hollow. That was one thing that I forgot to ask. Is there a is there a Ren Fair season or is it like an all year round thing uh, where it's, you know, on the weekends all year round or is there a certain time of the year? Or? So at one point in time, I was actually weighing the pros and cons of just going full nomad and living off the Ren Fairs. Um, I had my truck, I had my trailer, and I pretty much got booked for about 49 out of the 52 weeks a year. Wow. To be doing a fair almost every single weekend. Uh, but some of that would take me from like Southern California one weekend down to Florida the next weekend. So like there's a lot of driving, there's a lot of, you know, fuel consumption. And the downside to being a vendor slash entertainer, um, especially with what I do at the fairs. Um, I need to be able to resupply on steel. I need to be able to resupply on coal. And because the fares aren't always exactly um, consistent with how much I'm bringing in, um, it made it a little bit difficult to make sure that I got all of my bills paid. Um, and honestly, I'm glad I made the choice that I did because I was considering this in 2019. And 2020 wreaked absolute havoc on anyone who was living off of the rent fare circuit. Um, a lot of the Rennies that I know, um, some of them went bankrupt. Some of them, you know, pretty much lost everything in 2020, 2021, just because of COVID and all of that yeah. stuff. There was a fair relief Facebook page, like Facebook group for some vendors to share with each other some opportunities for buying things, even during the pandemic at its mm -hmm. harshest time. Um, but I know that was not anything in comparison to what the normal fair season would be for them. Yeah, I know that, you know, with my world, pro wrestling, music, the pandemic just completely shuts down. I mean, everything that you've you've worked for, like your your way of life, which oh, is, yeah. is weird saying, you know, that, that like your your hobbies, your pastimes, that's your way of life. But every weekend there's there's thousands of musicians thousands of professional wrestlers thousands of of ren fair goers that this is their their passion their life can you talk a little bit about having that taken away from you for a year year and a half however long it was that you weren't doing ren fairs because of the pandemic honestly i kept doing them um a lot of the fairs that i was going to regularly uh were canceled um thankfully you know the people at sleepy hollow rick and mary uh who own the fair they they're like you know we're just gonna do it we're gonna keep up with it they put in a lot of restrictions that for some of us like with what i do the interactive demonstrations that i do it really hurt because i could no longer do that you know without one of the big things is i was gonna have to wear a mask well when you're standing over a three thousand degree fire and you've got smoke blowing in your face that becomes a health risk sure you know and i'm not going to put myself in danger in that way in order to, you know, just make a little bit of extra money. Um, last year wasn't nearly as bad. Um, I was actually still able to do some of my interactive demonstrations, um, but it was a little bit more on the down low this year. I think it's going to be a lot better uh, for that, but it was hard. It was really hard. You know, a lot of people didn't want to go out. Um, I know 
you know, Rick and Mary, the owners of the Renaissance Fair at Sleepy Hollow, they came under a lot of flack um, publicly for still having the fair going, both in 2020 and 2021. Um, just because, you know, the pandemic and all this other stuff that was going on. Um, I actually got interviewed both years um, by one of the news stations asking me, you know, what precautions they were taking, how I felt about it. And, you know, I told them straight up for the people who, you know, go out and they do this regularly. It's, it's how they make their living. You know, being at a Ren Fair is one of the only times I can truly feel like I am my 100% myself. I can be out there. I can be boisterous and flirtatious and crude and everything else to where in my professional life and in my regular life, you know, I just can't, you know, I pretty much suffer from no life at all, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> now I know this is, hopefully this isn't a dumb question, but I feel like when we interviewed, uh, Zach, um, I asked a bunch of questions about like, Hey, where do you find out something, you know, when it comes to traveling the world? And then his answer was always Google. If someone would want to learn more about the Ren Fairs in their area, what's the best resource for that? Is it simply just going online or is there an, an, uh, a group or a network or? Um, actually, funny enough, uh, Facebook. Facebook is probably the best place to find out information about Renaissance Fairs local to you. Uh, if you type in your state uh, and Renaissance Fair, um, you will probably find two, three, four, five pages of information about you know where it is um what time of year it is everything else typically key like the keywords are like ren fair and then whatever city yeah, renaissance fair or renaissance festival and yep. then using your state because yeah. i mean it's so fair and festival are so interchangeable yep because iowa in and of itself has the renaissance fair at sleepy hollow they have the des moines renaissance festival they have the iowa renaissance festival they have a couple of Celtic festivals every year. Pirate festival. Okay. Pirate festivals. You know, they have all of this stuff here just in Iowa. Quad cities. I'd, so I'd say there's at least six oh, just yeah. in Iowa. Um, and those are all just mainstream established fairs, not to mention the ones that just pop up. I mean, there's and there's definitely differences between um, tent fairs, which is where like literally it's like a like the Amano um, location for the Iowa Renaissance Fair. Um, it is pop-up, you know, pop-up tents and that sort of thing, um, making the environment entirely of their own. But then there's locations like Ren Fairs, uh, Renaissance Fair Sleepy Hollow or some of the bigger fairs like Kansas City and St. Louis and Bristol, where it's permanent site. Like they have the buildings that really make the, the city into their own. 